Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Thank you so much, uh, Matt, or I should say Dr. Dutton. Uh, Matt Dutton is a um, Ph.D. and a professor at uh, FAMU and uh, kind of breaks the mold of that stuffy old statistics professor uh, or stuffy young statistics professor. He is a good man. I love, admire, and respect Matt Dutton so very, very much. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16. That also, Matt, I believe is the first time I've ever heard that song. I'm, I may have heard it somewhere else, but I, I really love the song. It's excellent, excellent. Who, who is that from? Do you, can you, is that Big Daddy Weave? Are you serious? We've got some Big Daddy Weave going up in here, huh? Big Daddy Weave. How many of you thought you'd live to see the day when Pastor Ray was standing up praising the songs of Big Daddy Weave? <laughs> Matt, you knew it would come, didn't you? It was excellent, beautiful song. Matthew chapter 6, the, I've titled the message The Best Today, and you'll see why in a moment. I'll start out talking about these, uh, these best lists, the the best list here in Tallahassee. We've got the best of Tallahassee awards. There are over a hundred categories for uh, the best of Tallahassee. You, uh, there's a category for the best appetizer. There's a category for the best place to get your car repaired. There's a <clears throat> category for uh, the best, uh, just whatever it might uh, be. If you can organize a few people to vote for your business, your church, your school, uh, and so on, you can make the list. Actually, we've made it a couple of times. Uh, and I'm not aware, however, of any organized efforts to put us there, but we have made uh, our church and our school and so on has made the best a couple of times. There are other lists that are best lists too. The Oscars, uh, for instance, are uh, a best list. Uh, the uh, Screenwriters Guild, the People's Choice Award, Who's Who, and a lot more. Depending on the exclusivity of the list, making it could be something very good for a person or a place of business. Of course, <clears throat> in the course of <clears throat> giving his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers some bests, and we're going to share those bests with you today. Not best people or places, but the best priorities, and certainly the best within us. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Not one, no one can serve two masters, for either he will <clears throat> hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We could have broken this passage into uh, two messages today. It would have been very easy to do that. Uh, but I decided to kind of put it together because to me it's two illustrations of the same topic. Demonstrations and pursuits of the best of what God has to offer each of us. And while the first few verses are about fasting, it reveals something about us. Here's what we're looking at. First of all, we're looking at the best face. Now this is in regard to, to the sacrifice, if you will, of fasting. A few years ago, in a special issue of Time magazine on how faith can heal, Jeffrey Kluger wrote, faith and health overlap in other ways too. Take fasting. One of the staples of both traditional wellness protocols and traditional religious rituals is the cleansing fast, which is said to purge toxins in the first case and purge sins or <clears throat> serve other pious ends in the second. There are secular uh, water fast, tea fasts, grapefruit fast, to say nothing of lemon, maple syrup, cayenne pepper fast. Jews fast at Yom Kippur, Muslims observe Ramadan, Catholics and Protestants have Lent, Hindus give up food on 18 major holidays. Let me just stop and say this. That's yet another reason not to be a Hindu. <clears throat> I would encourage you to stay as you are. Done right, these fasts may lead to a state of clarity and even euphoria. This, in turn, can give practitioners the blissful sense of whether the goal of food restrictions is health or spiritual insight. It's being achieved. Now this article tells us that fasting can be for medical or religious or spiritual reasons. Jesus tells us how it can be for another reason altogether. It could be for health reasons. It could be for spiritual reasons. But it could be a farce. It could be that someone's fasting is not for a good purpose at all. Verse 16 again, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now this is now the third thing that Jesus identifies as pharisaical and, and hypocritical. This is the third time that Jesus says that uh, if you're looking for some reward beyond the way that you're doing it, it's not coming because you already have your reward. The hypocrites and the Pharisees, they gave hypocritically, they prayed hypocritically, and now their fasts are a farce. They're like the person at the family reunion who tells you all the sacrifices they're making for the good of the family for the good of their church or for the good of their community. It's like that person that can't talk, stop talking about 
all that they've done to make everybody's lives around them better. They have their reward. As we stated a few weeks ago, as soon as they tell it, they lose it. Now to me, praying, giving, fasting, any spiritual exercise or sacrifice is a serious thing. I certainly would not want to waste the hope of spiritual blessing by drawing attention to myself in a fast. If I were going to fast, if I were going to fast for five days or 10 days, or if I were going to fast for 30 days, I had a friend one time that did a 40-day fast. Um, If I were going to do that, I certainly wouldn't want to waste my reward on drawing attention to myself. But that's what the Pharisees and the hypocrites did. If you're going to fast, rather than your fast be a farce, it's better for you to fast in faith. In verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Don't look like you're fasting. I used to tell my, uh, my kids in the, the school that I had in Nashville, I started a school in Nashville. The church, Jan and I started a church there in Nashville, and after it was up and running and going for a while, we started a school. And I used to have chapel every week with those kids, and we did some things that were kind of routine, and we always quoted the books of the Bible, and we'd see how fast we could quote the books of the Bible. And, and then I would tell them, i said, you might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, you may not have uh, the most money in the school, you may not this, that, and the other, but you can always, and those little kids would scream out to the top of their lungs, try, they would scream, try, and we would do all that. And then one of my rituals with them was this, that even if you're not listening, what should you do? And they said, look like you're listening. I said, that's exactly right. You should look like you're listening. Now, if you're in the middle of a fast and you're not happy, you should look like you're happy. Uh, this is what the, 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 the Bible says is, is uh, wash your face and, and anoint your head. You know, don't wear those grubby clothes and smell bad. Smell good and look good. Warren Wiersbe writes this, As with giving and praying, true fasting must be done in secret. It is between the believer and God. To make unsightly our faces by looking glum and asking for pity and praise would be to destroy the very purpose of the fast. Our Lord here laid down a basic principle of spiritual living. Nothing that is truly spiritual will violate that which God has given us in nature. God usually does not tear down one thing in order to build up another. If we have to look miserable to be considered spiritual, then there is something wrong with our views of spirituality. In fact, I offer that just the opposite (coughs) is true. In the book of John, Jesus warns those who would rob us of life and that he had come to give us life and life more abundantly. And regardless of what sacrifice we may be making for the cause of Christ, and all of us at some point should make some kind of sacrifice for our Lord out of nothing else, gratitude, that sacrifice should be accomplished with joy. We shouldn't just hide the fact that the sacrifice is difficult. We should accomplish it with joy. We shouldn't 
We shouldn't give. We shouldn't pray. We shouldn't fast. We shouldn't serve. We shouldn't, there should be nothing within us that causes us to think that any kind of, of service or sacrifice is a, a glum thing or something, anything other than something of great joy. To show the difficulty of our sacrifice is to lose our private understanding between ourselves and God. In all of this, <clears throat> having the best face in difficult circumstances, there's one who is watching and one who rewards. And it's like we've said all along, when you give your gifts, when you pray, and when you fast, you should fast unto the Father. If you want to have the best face in giving, if you want to have the best face in praying or in fasting, you have that best face toward the Father. Verse 18, that your fasting may, be, uh, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, verse 16 stated that the hypocrites could count on a hypocrite's reward. There is a hypocrite's reward. You know the old saying, you get what you pay for? Well, that's very applicable to the hypocrite. The hypocrite wants to be seen. The hypocrite wants to be noticed. Well, you get what you pay for. That's what you wanted. That's what you get. The hypocrite pays for recognition among his or her peers, and they get it. Whereas the person who makes this kind of sacrifice by faith is paid by the one to whom the sacrifice is made, paid by the Lord. The key in trusting the Father to give the reward the key is in trusting the Father to give the reward. Not certain that he will get the reward he wants. The hypocrite makes sure that he is noticed. I'm not sure that I'll be rewarded by God the way that I want to be rewarded, so I want to press it a little bit so that the people around me will reward me. The one who lives by faith has no reason to trust anyone other than God and is completely fine uh, with however God wishes to recognize his or her sacrifice. That's a hard place to come to, by the way, being just okay with however God chooses to recognize a sacrifice. We pastors feel like that sometimes there's a way that God ought to have our sacrifice and our service recognized. But if we're doing it the right way, we ought to be just happy with the way that God recognizes it. Sometimes we'll do something in the course of, of the work of God. And then we'll get a little out of joint because nothing was ever said about it. Now, I think we ought to say things. I think we ought to do please and thank you. I think that, that we like, like having uh, the folks down front this morning. Absolutely. I think that kind of thing is absolutely wonderful. However, what if somebody had made the commitment and they never got to stand in front of the church? And what if they had said to themselves, wow, I thought I'd get to stand in front of the church. I thought somehow or another there would be something. Years ago, I, I uh, <clears throat> had a, uh, a man in the church long, long time ago. We used to um, have a different way of doing deacon nominations and <clears throat> It was, it, was a, it was a different process than we do today. Um, but still, we have the process where that someone could be nominated from the, um, 
from the body, you know. So somebody in the body can nominate somebody else in the body. And there's a way to do that and so forth and time to do it. And I recall years ago a person uh, volunteering to become a deacon. I remember that. They, they volunteered to become, sent me a, uh, a message. Well, actually it was an email, sent me an email. You won't know this person, don't try and figure it out. Uh, <clears throat> sent me an email volunteering to be a deacon. And uh, I knew something about this person's life and, and, uh, and I knew that this person really didn't want to be a deacon. And um, what this person was wanting was something else probably. And so I emailed this person back and I said, I'm so glad of your interest. Let me share with you about our deacons and the kind of testimonies they live and the kind of lives they live and their priorities of life and and, uh, what their priorities of life are and that they're on display all the time and that they're servant deacons and and on and on and on. And uh, I received an email back and said, thank you so much for that information. I really don't believe I'm going to have time after all to be a deacon. Sometimes people want position for recognition. Is that why he wanted it? I don't know. But sometimes we do. Sometimes that's the way that we, we live our Christian lives. The one who lives by faith has no reason to trust anyone other than God and is completely fine with however God wishes to recognize the sacrifice. The one who lives by recognition instead of submission is looking to be recognized. And they have their reward as soon as they're recognized. The principle that should be considered is found in the next chapter of of Matthew, in Matthew 7 and verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? That tells you right there, I can trust God with the outcome. I can give sacrificially, I can pray, I can fast, I can do whatever, and I can do all of this as before the Lord, and I can trust the Lord to be better to me than I'd be to myself or anybody else would be to me. When we come to the place of understanding that we can say, no matter what, God is going to do what is best for me, then we can do anything for Him that He leads us to do without fear of ever being damaged. Serve God with your best face. You can trust Him. By the way, when it comes to the things of life and the stuff of this life, there's also the best fund that you can put your your things in. Most of us have some kind of a retirement fund. I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand on that, but most of us have some kind of retirement fund. You may have a, be in a pension plan. Uh, you may be in a, a retirement plan, a 401k plan, or, or some sort of an IRA plan, or something along those lines. And let me just say this. If you're not, you ought to, uh, especially those of you who are younger. You should invest in in your retirement long before you ever even think that retirement is a possibility for you. But some here have a pension or Social Security. You may have that 401k. One of the challenges of a 401k is knowing the best fund to choose. I mean, I, um, I probably you know that I, I watch Fox News. I watch Fox News a lot. And I'll be honest with you, every time they talk about financial news, I want to jump out my 
bedroom window and, and take my life. We have a one-story house, and all it would do is scratch me up. <clears throat> I mean, it just, it can really wear you out. And I, I, uh, I, had, I had lunch the other day with, with a, a person who is a financial advisor, has advised me in the past. And, and uh, he said, um, you know that all that money that you lost in your 401k and now the market is back and you know that that money that you lost is still lost. And I said, don't talk to me like that. I said, I can't hear that. I don't need to hear that. That's, yeah, well, so what if it is? You're trying to ruin my lunch? It's okay. So it's gone. Some, some people are very active in their funding, and others place them in target funds. That's what I do. And you trust the manager of the fund to, to monitor the market. And, and uh, I, I had, uh, <clears throat> I, look, I wish I had known Bernie Madoff early on, you know, while he was still making money for people and gotten in and gotten out, you know, and then let him go to jail. But anyway, I, I'm just kind of kidding about that. Yeah. Wow, we lighten up, people, okay? It's me. <clears throat> Understanding the need for us to be good stewards, God's blessings, uh, of God's blessings, what's the best fund for our investment? Well, let's talk about, first of all, the gamble. In verse 19, the gamble is defied defined this way. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. Now, Jesus never criticizes wealth or <clears throat> the benefits of having nice things. <clears throat> what he does warn against is in making those things our God and loving those things. They're just tools. We just use those things. Money and the things that we buy with it in life are just tools. Many of us have gotten brand new cars and within a thousand miles had somebody rear end us. I, I have had that happen, I think, twice. In both occasions, I got back in the car after all the stuff was written up and drove away. God said, just a tool, isn't it there, buddy boy? If the sum of all that we are is wrapped up in what we have, then we're gambling. What we have today can easily be gone tomorrow. Many people know this experience. Remember something it can always happen to your stuff. It can always happen. Love Loving money is the root of all evil, and loving stuff is one of the greatest gambles in life. Don't love your stuff. Your stuff can go away. Don't love it. So the best fun, we should understand the gamble. We should understand also the good. What is the good fun? What's better than treasuring the stuff of life? Well, verse 20 of our text says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
I can't emphasize this enough. There is no expectation that you, that you as a believer should, should give everything to the church or give everything to the poor or take a vow of poverty. There is no expectation of that. The expectation here is that we understand the priorities of the things of life. And occasionally, God will push the reset button. We get all of these priorities built up, and then all of a sudden, something happens to one of our children, or something happens to our spouse, or something happens within our body, or something happens wherever. And, and uh, suddenly, a reset button is pushed, and those things that were bothering us so much yesterday aren't even on the radar screen today. Because we've come to realize all of that was just stuff. This is real life. And if life is a vapor and eternity is forever, then we should make, it should make sense to us that while we enjoy the life that God has given to us, we invest in the eternity to come. If life is this long and eternity is eons long and beyond, why is it that we make so much of our investment about this span of time? Far better to invest in the eternity of our children than the education of our children. Although the education of our children is vital, the eternity of our our children is crucial. The eternity of our happiness the eternity of our worth, the eternity of our joy, the eternity of our investments. Here's something from the Old Testament that puts perspective on the importance of balance in the pursuit of life and the stuff of life. This is from Haggai, and uh, starting in verse 3 of Haggai 1. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house, this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You have eaten, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. Uh, And he who earns wages uh, does Uh, So to put them in a bag with holes. This is is the way that we treasure our lives. Don't, Don't you ever look around at people who you know earn less than you? Yet they always seem to have more than you? Do you not look around and and realize that more money is not the automatic answer to your problem? If, if your emphasis is on stuff, if your emphasis is on the things of life and not on the things uh, to come, if your emphasis is wrapped around the stuff of life, you, you will always bring home money in a bag with holes in it. But if your emphasis is on the things to come, if you're living for unto God and you're not living unto men and you're giving unto God and you're not giving unto men and you're 
fasting unto God and you're praying unto God and not praying unto men. If your life is to be seen before the Lord and not to be seen before men, guess what? That does a total remake of all of our priorities and all of a sudden we've got when we thought we never had because our priorities were remade. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be Dave Ramsey here, but, but let me just say this to you. If you are gainfully employed, if you have a household income and you think, I just don't have enough, before you go out and try to change your income, see if there's a need to change your values. And I'm not talking about, well, I don't really need this and I don't really need that. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about getting on your knees before God and saying, God, show me, please, how do I set my mind on you and how do I live in such a way that you filter every priority that I have so that I'm not worried about having enough. I'm more concerned about you getting enough glory and your work being done and you being honored through my own life. When you live like that, the stuff is stuff and you have plenty of it. It's just stuff. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. Are we putting our emphasis on the funds that only are paid out in this life and are constantly in jeopardy? Or have we put our life and being and welfare and wealth into a heavenly hedge fund? That's where I want mine to be. Today we looked at some of the best, the best face, the best fun. And let's close with this, the best focus. Jesus goes on to build what he has just stated regarding our, uh, he builds on what he's just stated regarding our life funding and why we should set our affection on things above and not on things of the earth. First of all, he says, here's a rule. It's a very important rule. This is a rule. If you mark in your Bibles, I want you to underline this. If you don't mark in your Bibles, I want you to start today and underline this. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's not just something in the Bible. That's a rule. It's a rule. It works that way. If this could be made into an overlay of some kind, you could lay it over any part of life and see the truth of it. When you go to the ball game or you go to the ballet or you go to the dance recital or you go to the spring play, uh, your heart is drawn uh, to the ones that you treasure. You see all the other children, but you do not see them in the same light that you see your children and your grandchildren. And do you know why? Because they are your treasure. They are your heart. And there may be a hundred kids in the play, but you came to see one. You may notice the other kids, but you're focused on one. 
You may live in an apartment complex where every apartment looks the same and every door is painted the same and every stairwell is the same and every doorbell is the same and, and all of the windows are exactly the same. But when you pull up to that apartment, you don't have to have a different colored siding on your apartment to know that it's yours. You know that behind one of those doors and the door in particular that you know uh, that behind that door is your stuff and inside of that apartment, number B103, three or whatever it may be, you know, that's where my stuff is. And that's the door that's important to you. And the reason is because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You may drive past any cemetery in town, but you notice the one where you laid the body of your loved one. That's a rule. It's just a rule of life. It's the way that life works. It's the way that it is. It is easy to see this in our spiritual walk in our church life when we visit a church for the first time we have nothing more than a trip invested for that day some of you may be first-time visitors here and when the service is over you've you've come and you've hopefully you've you've been blessed by the service and you've enjoyed the service and you'll want to come back but in the end when you get in your car and drive off the property all you really have invested for today is a trip when we decide to go back and maybe keep going back we feel more vested in that church we feel more vested in that ministry And once we decide that we're going to become members, when we say, I'm going to be a a member of that church, and we begin to tithe, and we begin to support that church, we truly fall in love with the church. And the reason we fall in love with the church is because our treasure is now in the church. And where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. That's the way that it works. Your heart is here because you've learned to treasure this place. You put your treasure in it. That's one of the frightening aspects, by the way, of the church in general today. The, the idea of, of just going here, there, and pillar to post, and spending a little time here, and spending a little time there, is there is no investment of the heart. We are those casual attenders sometimes that can go and leave and go and leave. There is a rule, friends. This is not a maybe rule. This is a Jesus rule. It is absolutely true. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Now there's a reason for that. Verse 22 of our text, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light is uh, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The rule is right because of the reason given. What you see is what you get. What did you come looking for today at this church? What are you looking for in your marriage? Hmm? What are you looking for tomorrow in your job? When you go tomorrow, you'll go looking for something. When you came today, you came looking for something. And in accordance to how your eye is perceiving 
what you're looking for, that's what the whole day will be tomorrow. It's what the whole life will be. A famous golfer once said, nobody ever looks up and sees a good golf shot. When your eyes stay focused on the target, you have at least some hope of hitting the ball straight. But when you give it the old heads up, nose out shot, the ball's going over there. I've done that plenty of times. Be lined up to hit it that way and hit it that way, and I say, what happened? I'll tell you what I did one day. <laughs> this is gonna, you're going to love this. Coach Bowden and I were just playing, just the two of us, and he was sitting in the golf cart. I always drive, and I pulled up, and the ball was right here. The golf cart was right about there. And uh, this, was, this was on a, um, I was supposed to hit it a long way. And I lined up on the ball to hit it, and for some reason I laid my club face open, and uh, that's not something that I can do. I laid my club face open, and when I hit, I came back, and I don't know exactly how I did it, but I felt like I had to really hit it a long, long way because it was a long way to the green. And I came back, and I hit it, and when I did, I did like this. When I hit it, did just like that. And the ball went over the golf cart and landed beside Coach Bowden. He said, what'd you do, boy? And I said, I don't know what I did, but I'm glad I didn't hit you. I, I think that would be the headline that would finally do me in. That would be the one newspaper article I could not get past. I'll tell you something, folks. Whatever you focus on, that's where you're going to be. I've said it like this in the past. Our outlook determines our outcome. That's why our hearts follow our treasure. We, we make a cognizant decision as to where we place our, our treasure and and. With that determined destination comes a predisp- predisposition of our hearts. I mean, we can just, you know where your treasure is. So then the question is, how do we view life? Do we view it through the eyes of materialism or through the eyes of the spiritual walk? Some might say that, well, I see it one way on Sunday, but I see it another way on Monday. You can't do that. I mean, you can think you do that. But if you have to put on a different set of eyes to come to church, then your real set of eyes have been materialistic all week long and stay there. It's about the stuff of life. That kind of living won't work, and here's the reality. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We can have Jesus and we can have money, but we can't serve them at the same time. One is going to win. That's the reality. You may argue the point, but you're arguing with Jesus, not me.
Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. Didn't say you can't have money. Didn't say you can't have God if you have money. But he said you can't serve God and money. We live for God or we live for stuff. Plain and simple. Very plain and simple. In 1875, a British poet named William Ernest Henley published a short poem that expressed one way to cope with life's circumstances. The poem was called Invictus. And it ended with these famous lines, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. For a hundred years, Henley's poem has inspired many, many people. Some very famous and worthy people like Nelson Mandela and some people not so worthy like Timothy McVeigh. Sixteen years after Henley first published Invictus, the British preacher, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, offered another philosophy of life. It was on June the 7th, 1891. These were the closing words of what would end up being his final sermon. Spurgeon urged people to seek a better captain for their soul. Here's what Spurgeon said. Every person must serve somebody, but we have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend on it. You will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, and Satan and the world to be hard masters, but if you wear the uniform of Christ, you'll find him so meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. If you could see our captain, you would go down on your knees and beg him to let you enter the ranks of those who follow him. It is heaven to serve Jesus. The best for your life is to know Jesus. That's the best. And to give your life to him, to serve him. Serve him with who you are. Serve him with what you have. Serve him with your time. Serve him with your talent. Serve him with your treasure. Serve him with all who is you. He is our captain. He is the captain of our soul. And he is the best. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray, lchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.